Hello and welcome along to the RTE Rugby Podcast. Neil Tracy here with you as we approach what's actually going to be a rare, quiet weekend in season. Leinster, the only Irish side in action this Friday night against Leicester Tigers. And no women's Six Nations this week. That's on a break week as well. But still, a lot of reaction to what happened last week coming up with Bernard Jackman, as usual. And Fiona Coughlin, who we've got now twice in three weeks. Fiona, you're going to rue the day you let us have your phone number and ruin your Easter holidays. <laughs> that's not too bad I could be doing worse than talking about rugby on a Wednesday morning exactly exactly listen guys we'll get straight into it because we've uh, we've plenty to get through Um, we'll start at the Aviva Stadium where I know both of you were on Saturday Leinster 30 Ulster 15 in the last 16 of the Heineken Champions Cup Leinster going to be taking on the Leicester Tigers again in a repeat of last year's quarter final um Birch, to start off with just in general from Leinster, look, we all know it wasn't the prettiest game in the world and conditions pretty much dictated that. It was a, a miserable, miserable evening in, in Dublin. But you got to give Leinster credit for the way they just navigated their way through all of that and they made it a game that wasn't nearly as dramatic as it could have been. Yeah, and I think this is, I suppose, a, a byproduct of what they what they looked at over the summer when they analysed losing to the Bulls and losing to La Rochelle that you know they need to be able to have different ways to play and, and need to be able to I suppose play winter rugby or cup final rugby um when it, you know when when it, when it's needed and with the conditions as they were it really stopped both teams being able to play their normal high tempo um you know high rook race uh, type game because just it was so hard to so sorry, it was so easy to defend because everything was much narrower. So I think Leinster basically went to their kicking game, which is very good always, to be fair to them. Um, but it it just dominated Ulster. Ulster just didn't have the length or the accuracy in their kicking. Um and that's down to personnel as well. It's not that Dan McFarland and um his coaching staff wouldn't have, you know, don't have a strategy. It's just literally the profile of players that Leinster have. Um they've got some Real weapons, uh, and 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 they've got variety across the backline. Whereas, um, Ulster are probably a team that are more set up to to run. To be fair, uh, and kick off nine a lot, um, predominantly off nine. Um, so it just worked into Leinster's hands. Leinster were winning that territorial battle. Um, uh, I think they kicked for about three hundred fifty meters more than Ulster. They spent most of the game in Ulster's half, and once Leinster are there. Um, they're very good at racking up scores, and and they didn't need to get a bonus point. Mm. Um, you know they just needed to to win the game, and I, I think they'll be really pleased with how they matched up without Caelan Doris, without Gary Ringrose, without Johnny Sexton, uh, in an Irish derby. You know, with the with the weather sometimes making a difference in teams less. I thought Leinster would have would have walked away from the game feeling that they were comfortably better to be honest and I think it's a masterclass in PR for McFarland because all week we've been talking the debates suddenly become about Leinster in the in the media and among the fans and no one's looking at the other three provinces pretty poor exits from from European competition it's all been about you know uh, is it the coaching is it the, the money is it the demographics so I think McFarland's throwaway comment um, has has saved a lot of focus on, on him uh, Ulster and uh, the other provinces. Yeah, Fiona, it seems like a lot of the, the talk in the last couple of days has been how do we bring Leinster back to the rest of the pack rather than bring the rest of the pack up to Leinster? 
yeah, look, it's ridiculous conversations. No one was saying that about Munster in the uh, in the 2000s and similar story with Dublin GAA and look at it now. Do you know what I mean? Sport is cyclical, but you have to commend Leinster what they've done. Obviously, they have the schools, you know, feeding into their system, which enables them hugely. But then they've always had that. But now what they have is their pathways in place. They they go out even further into the community and looking for the likes of Jamie Osborne, these players that are coming through. But the school system is huge for them. But that was always there. So I think we need to commend them, commend their coaches and try and help the other provinces get up to that level. You know, you shouldn't be playing down. You should be all looking to play up. And um, I think the conversation is a bit ridiculous. Those demographics have always been there as well. Yeah, and, and Fiona, I think... I agree with you, but also like it's not as if they've gone back to back to back European cups. Leinster, like they're they're a brilliant team and they're unbeaten this year, and there is a gulf. But like they've no trophy in the cabinet, and I know we all think they're you know they're they're highly likely to get trophies this year. But this time last year, we well, I've certainly thought they were good enough to win a European cup and 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 the and the URC and they didn't. So this is a conversation I think that should be happening if there's wholesale dominance, you know, over four or five years, whereas. Um, at the moment, I think Leinster themselves aren't even happy or satisfied with their trophy hall. Yeah, and even I, I'm only going back six months to the week that Ulster were going to the RDS for that game in the in the URC Birch, and a lot of the conversation that week was, I think we're starting to feel that Ulster are getting up towards maybe they're not fully on Leinster's level, but there was a really really good feeling that Ulster could have gone to the RDS and done something special that night and it felt like they were taking the next step now ultimately they haven't and they hit a big mid-season malaise off the back of it but it it does sort of feel like we're kind of absolutely re- kind of going all in on the fact that we just have one Irish province in the in the last eight of the Champions Cup and all of a sudden that means you know Leinster have this unassailable dominance over the rest of the Irish provinces yeah no, I agree with you like let, let's be honest earlier on the season you know, um, after half an hour, Keane Healy in the bin. Like Keane, Keane Healy sent off Ulster with a big um, scoreboard lead. You felt that was the moment to to drive it home. I think the other provinces, they they probably need to get confidence from being able to beat Leinster. You know, during the season in the URC, um, to give them that little momentum to be able to beat them in a in a, in a you know a knockout game. And certainly back in my time, it's a long time ago. But when Michael check it, we managed to beat Munster once in in Musgrave Park and it just gave us a little bit more confidence that belief and then obviously we were able to beat them at Crow Park when we were massive underdogs and I think that's the problem at the moment is Leinster's first string second string have become very good at just quashing any kind of sense of rebellion or or, or hope in, in the other teams um, through their domination but that doesn't mean that you know round three Wilkins McFarland, they need to keep trying to find ways of um convincing their players there is a chance and obviously then doing the work technically tactically recruitment retention to better prepare them um because the, and it's brilliant by Leinster because if Leinster can can you know create that narrative in the other provinces not among the fans or the media but in the other provinces that they're impossible to catch well then that's going to make it easier for them and um you know, and and again, the job of everyone else is to is to say no, no, no. They are beatable. There's a weakness there, and we're going to find it. And we're going to exploit it, as La Rochelle have done, as Saracens have done, as the Bulls have done in knockout games. I don't think there's any doubt that Leinster over the course of the season will win will win the URC League, right? But after that, it comes down to 
80 minutes um in in the knockout stages and and that's the that's the worry and I, and, and I think I think that, that you know we can't have that excuse mentality of demographics or anything like that um the four provinces need to focus on on being better uh, and 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 to answer they are doing a great job of 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 being excellent but I think realistically for them they'd only be satisfied when they have significant silverware in the in the in the locker yeah, and Fiona, you you mentioned the dubs earlier on there, Fiona, and it it is a little bit similar as well. And I almost get the feeling in the the first couple of days of this week that Leinster are kind of doing exactly what Dublin did in that situation. Like you see, see Stuart Lancaster was kind of on the defensive a little bit the other day, talking about, well, you know, we've produced these players, we haven't bought them in from anywhere else, and it was something that Dublin did very very well in those days when they were being criticised for the resources they had, where it was they were almost kind of using us using that criticism against them as the motivation and kind of feeling as if they were under fire over it all and in the end they actually came out kind of fighting even stronger off the back of it and it's it is a nice little motivation for Leinster to have I don't think they need extra motivation in the fact that they don't have those trophies. But yeah, like they'll have confidence in what they've done and how they've developed players and how they've developed so many internationals, homegrown talent. Like Stephen Ferris said the other night, the last homegrown international for Ulster in the forwards was Ian Henderson in 2012. So yeah, Tom O'Toole has come through, but he's come through from Australia and then back in and there's been other players. But like, that's that's an issue, like that we're not developing these players. Or you look at Munster in the front five back in the 2000s, that the front five of the pack weren't Munster players and now they're not there. And if you look at 20s players as well coming through, like predominantly those front five players are are Leinster players, you know, with the odd one, you've Sheehan down on coming off the bench down in Cork and stuff. But, you know, Leinster should be proud of what they've achieved and, and what they've done in terms of developing these players and the standard got to. And that comes down to coaching. Lancaster's done a great job since he's gone in there marrying the two, bringing the young players in and then increasing the leadership capabilities of the players that were already there. So I think I don't think they need any extra motivation, but um, you know, they should be proud of what they've achieved in, in terms of development and, and players getting to that level. Mm-hmm. In terms of individual players, I, just to pick out one from the weekend, Ryan Baird, I thought was just absolutely out of this world and he's been hitting serious form now in the last few months. Bernard, do I put it to you that We've known for several years now that he has all this highlight reel stuff in his locker. He's got insane athleticism, incredible speed for a for a player of his size and bulk. But is he is he starting to match that with doing a lot of boring stuff very, very, very well over the last few months? Yeah, I think he's a brilliant example of of somebody that Leinster have really kind of managed well because as you said, you know, we could all see this amazing athleticism um but they have they made him earn it they've made him earn it like he's been dropped um and out of the squad for for quite a long time um and that's hard to do sometimes with a player like him who has those moments of brilliance that you know can 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 make highlights videos and potentially change a game they kind of have have coached him and worked with him um, got those extra bits out of him that maybe wasn't naturally in his game because, uh, and that's often the case of players who are so gifted, um, that they can drift in and out of games, um, and and rely on those big moments. But I think what you're seeing now is, and in a blue jersey and a, and a green jersey is, is somebody who's, you know, up there with them with the best back rows or locks in Irish rugby at the moment in terms of form, and. It's going to be so interesting. Like, you know, you'd be 
brave man to say, oh, we need to make changes to that front or that back five of, of the pack who obviously won us a grand slam. Um, in terms of first choice players, you know, the Manny's, the, the Doris, the Van der Fleers, etc. But when you see what Conan and Baird are doing um, with the time they get, um, it, it's incredible level of competition. And, and Ryan Baird at 23, having added already what he's added to his game in terms of nuts and bolts, the work rate, plus obviously the the unreal athleticism that he has, um, he 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 could be he could be one of the best ever. You know, he could be one of the best ever sixes or locks to play for for Ireland, and that's and that's a big statement because obviously you're up against um some phenomenal players, but he his ceiling could be absolutely massive, and he's getting towards you know achieving that. He's on the right trajectory, but I think you know. Uh, Leinster, it would have been easy to just keep letting them play, but I think that they they have managed him very well to get him to the stage at twenty three where he now looks, you know, potentially world class. Yeah, and the 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 great thing about it is, I think he he showed in that game as well. He still has the opportunity to produce a li- something a little bit kind of mad, like you know, taking on three or four side steps in a row. He still has that kind of license to be able to do something like that. So you know they they're getting him to do the boring stuff very very well, but they're not taking away from any of the the good stuff either. But the other question, the other question you pose in that is one I'll put to Fiona now. And is he a, a second row or is he a number six? Or ultimately, does it really matter? Um, I, I don't really think it matters. Uh, well, I think it doesn't matter when you have other players that can play those positions as well. Do you know what I mean? As in, in Ireland, you know, where is he best suited for a certain game t- plan as well? Um, you know, he has that athleticism for the back row, but he's doing a great job in the second. He's done a great job in the second row as well. Um, I don't think it matters. I think he's a better six. Um, but I, I, I genuinely don't think it matters. But I think I agree with everything Bernard said. He, his ceiling could be huge and the fact that he's improving all the time and and I know it's taken a bit of time but it was measured and controlled time that it's taken to get there I thought his first half last week was absolutely outstanding he went a bit quieter in the second half but that's because he was doing a lot more donkey work which was needed at the time um but yeah no I don't I really don't think it matters where he plays do you have a strong opinion either way where you'd prefer to see him play Birch no I'm happy with him playing six to be honest at the moment as and I think realistically Everyone being fit, he probably for the World Cup, he may be that impact player off the bench, able to cover both. But, um, God, I can't, I can't see it being too long before he's a staple, you know, starting at Irish team. And then Bernard to follow up on that in terms of this weekend, how do you see that back row looking? If number one, if Caelan Doris is fit and available again, and number two, if Josh van der Fleer is out, what way are you lining things up? Because I, I don't think we would, like, if Van der Fleer is out, for example, I don't think necessarily we would just see Doris come in and have some sort of Doris, Conan, Baird trio in there. Yeah. Without, uh, a natu- I, I, you know, without a natural seven, you'd be thinking like a Scott Penny or someone? Yeah, yeah, I, I'd be happy for Scott Penny to get a start in, in, in this game, to be honest. I think every time he's played, um, he's shown, like, he's just very unlucky. He's, he's competing with Will Connors, um, Josh Van der Fleer uh, in particular at the moment, but I think he's someone who has earned the trust of those Leinster coaches through his performances. And um, I think Leinster probably would want an out-and-out open side. Um, you know, if the conditions are a little bit better, I think that'll be important because they want to play against Leicester, even though Leicester are a very kick-focused team. Um, Leinster will want to bring their natural game to the game, I think. Uh, so I think Penny could start. I don't know. I, I would be happy enough to, 
to be honest, to go with Conan and and Baird again and have Doris on the bench, and that's just just to bring him back in, you know, um, easily, uh, and he'd be some impact player to come on. I think it'd be hard on Baird or or Conan uh, to leave them out this weekend, and that's not saying I don't think Doris should be in the first choice team, but just I think that that would be a, a boost for Lencer on the bench and also a natural a natural way back in. Not to not to completely go back on what we were talking about at the start of this podcast, Fiona, but um, to hear Birch say keep Doris on the bench and he'd be a good impact to have. I mean, bloody hell, that's a that's a decent luxury to have, isn't it? <laughs> but then you I don't have to tell him. I don't have to tell him he's not starting. It, but you know, it's, it's easy from here. Even the players who don't even make their twenty three for Europe, like the likes of Reese Ruddock, who was absolutely outstanding week in week out, and they just have that depth. Like Will Connors was battle playing with Leinster A, and do you know what I mean? So. They just have such depth, particularly in the back row. But I fully agree with uh, Bernard on Scott Penny. Like every time I watch him play in the URC, I'm like, he's man of the match. It's hard to believe he only has two Champions Cup games down now. Um, and I think he's warranted that start. Uh, I think Doris is definitely a better player than Conan and adds more, has more to his game. But Conan was absolutely brilliant last week and he, he did what he had to do and more and a deserving man of the match as well. And then to, to move it on to the Leicester Tigers, Fiona, um, what what are you expecting from them this weekend? I I found it hard to get a read on them this season. It felt like they had taken a backward step, maybe in the in the first half of the campaign. Then they lose Borthwick. They have kind of settled over the last uh, five six weeks with um with Richard Wigglesworth. But do you, do you see them being able to beat Leinster this weekend? Is it like is there a weakness in in Leinster's game that you could see them going after? Well, they're talking themselves down anyway and talking Leinster up and. Um... Yeah. I haven't been hugely impressed with them at all. Uh, even last weekend's Edinburgh, I know the conditions were horrific, but they just, they weren't even doing what they normally do well, like that kick and chase game. They've obviously really talented individuals, but I just don't think they're cohesive as a team. Um, like, even, you know, there's the likes of Pollard, Stewart, but they couldn't, they don't really play with, I know Pollard's a kick in 10, but they don't really play with the backs that they have. They really rely on their forwards who aren't cohesive. I think they only have three second rows fit, so they don't even have a squad to choose from in terms of, you know, your fits or your playing. So I think, I don't think Leinster have much to worry about really in terms of if they get themselves mentally right, I think they're a far superior team. Yeah, Birch, do do Leinster really need to have a, a big off day to, to give Leicester the opening? Yeah, I think so. I think we've seen um, Premiership teams come to Dublin in the past and just get get blown away. I think there is a gulf. Um, I think Leicester, I agree with Fiona, I think there, there was a, they're not where they were on the board week, they had unbelievable clarity around how they wanted to play and, and, and even though Wigglesworth is obviously a disciple of Bortwick, I think it's just a little bit off um, at the moment. Um, and I don't think they have the, the power up front to be able to dominate uh, Leinster, which probably is the only chance someone has of beating them is if they can put a real squeeze in that pack. And uh, I think it's a good draw for Leinster, to be honest. And, um, and, and they'll come and they'll, they'll pitch. I don't think, I don't, um, I think they're trying to, you know, lull Leinster to the false sense of security, but I just don't think they have the tools to um, be able to really threaten them. That's eight o'clock on Friday night. Leinster against Leicester Tigers live on RT two and RT Player and RT Radio One as well. Uh, before we move on from this game, guys, though, Ulster fought hard. Always seemed like they were kind of just chasing the game, really. Though, but in terms of the the rest of the season, Fiona, 
is there is there stuff they can take out of out of that performance to to carry them in with them into what they presume now is is hopefully going to be a home quarter final in the in the United Rugby Championship and have a crack at you know potentially getting to a final and who knows after that. Yeah, like I don't think they've played to the standard that they were playing at the end of last year in terms of getting the balls to the backs in general. I know the conditions weren't right for that at the weekend, but um, I, I don't think they're giving their backs quality ball to go from and they're relying on their line out mall a huge amount, which they've got success off and, and they'll continue to do that. They've got to try against Leinster off that. Um, but yeah, like considering where they were mid-season, it's surprising that they look to be in contention of getting a home a home semi-final because they had such a dip in form. So, you know, credit to them to getting back and getting a good a good couple of wins. I think it's five out of the last six they had before the Leinster game. So, um, they would look to, I'd love to see them get the, the ball to their backs a little bit more because they do have really exciting backs and it would look, love to see them attack off that. And Birch, one player to, to mention, Jacob Stockdale, he's someone who's been in a real, real tough run for probably a couple of years now between injuries and form. But in the last month or six weeks, is it looking like bit by bit every game where, you know, he's not, he hasn't been absolutely out of this world and, you know, back in his 2018 or 19 form. But it does feel like we're kind of starting to see glimpses of what you'd say the old Jacob Stockdale. And I say that with a pinch of salt. He turned 27 the other day. So he's still got a, he's still got quite a decent career ahead of him if he can get back to those levels. But, he had a couple of lovely moments at the Aviva Stadium, particularly in the first half with that up and under that led to James Hume's try. But I don't know, do, does it feel like we're starting to see a couple of glimpses of, of the old Jacob Stockdale back? Yeah, no, I think he has. I think it's taken him a while, but I think over the last five or six games that he's played, you have seen him grow in confidence and um, be the threat that he, that he is. He's probably the, the you know, the... The shining light for Ulster last weekend. I think it was a dark enough day for them uh, individually, but I thought he he certainly um you know would have put his name back in the mind of of Andy Farrell. I just wonder, I wonder, you know, is there enough to his game at the moment? When you see how Farrell likes his wingers to play, um, yeah, I still I know that was a brilliant you know running running bomb and and, and catch, but um. I'm not sure how good he is at linking, at coming off his wing and, you know, just getting over the game line. It's a different type of game that Ulster play. I'm sure he can play it, but I don't know if his, I think his natural skill set is more based around being an out-and-out finisher, whereas Lowe and Hansen um, are very important in other areas to to, to Farrell's way of playing. So, but look, at Jacob Stockdale at his best he, um, uh, and he looks like he's getting back towards his best is... His quality and, and has the ability to probably score tries that the other two can't score. To be fair to him, um, but it's going to be very interesting if he if he can find a way into that World Cup squad at the moment. I'm not 100 sure he's nailed on. And Fiona, look, even if he doesn't make it into a World Cup squad, I just like I just said, he turned 27 the other day. In four years' time, he'll you know there'll be another World Cup coming around where he will be hitting 31, and you're still talking about that as being a a real prime age for a player. Like he has loads of time left in his career to, to really, really get back to peak form. Yeah, he does. Um, to be honest, I just haven't seen it. And even when he was at peak form, I do think there's questions about him defensively and, and what he offers defensively. And I reiterate what Bernard said about being a busy winger and similar to Balakoon, they're not those busy type of wingers, they're finishers. And like, I, I definitely don't think he's going to be back for this year. And I think he just needs to be concentrating on his form for Ulster at the moment and getting back to his best with Ulster before he even, 
thinks about Ireland because I just don't think it's in, in the horizon. Could be and well one of, oh. Before I've been wrong, but I just don't see it in, in the horizon. And even four years time, I think that's too far to look ahead. I think he just needs to look at form for Ulster at the moment. One other player to mention as well from an Ulster point of view, he wasn't playing on Saturday, but Jordy Murphy confirmed a couple of days ago that he's going to retire at the end of the season. Only turning 32 this month, you know, 30 caps for Ireland. And I know he hasn't played in a few years, Birch, but like he'll, he's been involved in some great days for, for Leinster, Ulster and Ireland as well. Like, you know, Soldier Field in 2016. I know he had that horrendous knee injury that day, but he got one of the tries earlier on that put Ireland on the way to that victory. He was a key man in that golden period for Ar- for Leinster and Ireland under Joe Schmidt. Um, very highly thought of by by anyone who played with him. Very respected by by his opponents. Um, and even though in Ulster he he obviously hasn't had the um the silverware that he got earlier on in his career. I remember speaking to some of the Ulster players about a year after he joined, and they were blown away by you know his professionalism, <clears throat> his attention to detail. And it rubbed off on a lot of them as well. Um, so consummate pro, uh, you know, got got a start, got lots of games for Ireland and Leinster in a period when, you know, there was a lot of good back rows around, which you know is, is testament to his ability. And uh, yeah, his obviously body can't do what what he wants anymore. And I think he's moving into the agency game. Um, very highly respected, and he's still going to be involved in in rugby from a from a different side of it, I believe. So, um. Yeah, well, great career, and as he said, you know, in the statement, it's not over yet. You know, he he'll be driving Ulster to try and to try and finish on a on a high and and, and lift the trophy. He's leaving a good career behind Fiona as well, and like as we said, still only he'll be thirty two by the by the end of the season, which seems you know it's it's re- it's youngish on the professional rugby retirement scale when when it isn't being forced upon a player, but he did play. A lot of rugby earlier on in his, in his career, so probably has that that wear and tear of a of a long career. Yeah, look, he's making a decision on his own terms. He gets to finish on his own terms, and I think that's really important for him. And he obviously hasn't had a huge amount of time at Ulster this season. Um, and like just his importance now for them at the latter end of the season, driving the standards off the pitch, whether he he gets any game time or not, driving the standards off the pitch is really important. But yeah, his best days were were at Leinster and Ireland. Back, I was there at Soldier Field. It was he got obviously horribly injured but he had a huge involvement in in this in the team up until that point and um yeah it's, it's a sad loss in terms of such a young player leaving but I, I am delighted that he gets to go on his own terms is that something you could see happening a little bit more Birch in the future like the going on your own terms is obviously huge for a player and as I said having just turned 32 would seem a little bit young in terms of age and we spoke about Stuart Hogg here last week um it's off the top of Alex Wooten only a few weeks. He's retiring at, at 28. There, I don't know. Am I just kind of thinking of recent examples? Is there a bit of a no. recency bias there? But it do, does it feel there are more players maybe going a year or two earlier than expected just when yeah. they have yeah. their they have their body intact? CJ Sander two years ago went remarkably early as, as far as all of us were concerned. Is it a trend you could see happening in the future? Absolutely, because I think it's hard to appreciate um, how hard it is to do what those players are, are doing um it's it's a dream obviously to get paid to do what you love um and there's a huge amount of benefits to it but once your body gets to a place where you know every single day is incredibly difficult and uh, you can't do what you used to do 
you can't do what you want to do. Um, that's very, very difficult to deal with. And I think I think players will have been very conscious during COVID, seeing what's happened in, in Wales, you know, uh, with a salary reset, seeing what's happened in Moss and Muster. You know, the, it's a very small family of, of professional players and they all talk. And, and the trauma, um, the doubts, the uncertainty that other rugby players have gone through. Um, if someone, I think, his body's struggling, maybe not enjoying it. I'm not saying that any of those fellas weren't enjoying it, but if, the, if their body's struggling a little bit and they get an opportunity to jump into something that excites them, um, I think you will start to see, you know, players make that, take that shot, take that shot and and walk away from it. Um, because it's incredibly competitive and, and people talk about Leinster and, and they are the shining light, but in Ulster, Jordy Murphy's getting squeezed, you know, by by players, you know, from all angles to, for game time. Um, and if you I said if you can't do what you used to be able to do, that's a horrible, horrible place to be. And um, I, I particularly now with the financial uh, restrictions or or worries in the game, you will see players. I think jump into something that excites them that that they feel maybe not be there for them. In two years' time or a year's time, when when maybe there's a, you know, there's a natural end to their career. Um. So yeah, I I think it's definitely something that we're going to see more of. Yeah. Best look to Jordy Murphy in the the final games of his career over the next couple of months and uh, with his his future endeavors in the game as well. Um, guys, Monster thirty five Sharks fifty. We were on this podcast last week, Birch, and I, I'll remind you now. I've been at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday and. The first thing you said to me, who was that Egypt that said Monster would have been on the podcast last week? But yeah. look, look, no, but I, I, Eddie, it was Eddie, it was Eddie. Was. I did no, but I do think there's, <laughs> there's a relevance to to it as well because a lot of the the argument, and it wasn't just you that were saying it, but was you know Monster have an ability in Europe in big games to 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 bring themselves up to the occasion. Is there a worry that they are no longer capable of actually doing that? Of bringing yeah. themselves up those extra couple of gears simply because of the height of the game or the height of the of the occasion. Yeah, and, and to be honest, the, the reason I thought they would do it is because pretty consistently they've always managed to get that extra ten percent in a European game, knockout game in particular. Um, but they didn't. They didn't this weekend. I know the first half they were okay, played some nice rugby, um, but just to. To release um and and be so poor in that third quarter, I've never I, I've never seen them do that in Europe before to that extent. In a in a must win game, they've they've messed up in group stages, put themselves in horrible positions, and then got out of it. You know more often than not through some kind of miracle or or outstanding performance. Um, but yeah, it wasn't there at the weekend, and the evidence you know based on what we saw against Glasgow and, and the second half against Scarlets, you know pointed towards. Another, you know, heavy concession of points, but I genuinely felt, you know, Sharks hadn't been great, uh, very inconsistent. I felt Munster would have relished that opportunity, backs against the wall. But I don't know. Um, I, 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 I have said it before. I, I think, you know, there's a they need a new crop of of leaders to replace the Omanis and Murrays when they finish. Um, and they have, they've they've basically been putting fingers in the dike for. To go to ten years, you know, um, and leading them, and and keeping the show on the road to a certain extent without obviously getting silverware, but it now looks like it's a it's a complete rebuild job, uh, for 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 Graham Roundtree, and um, 
yeah, I, 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 I think if that's what it has to be, it has to be. You know, uh, Munster, the Munster branch, the you know the P, uh, the the board that advises, you know, uh, the IRFU need to work together to make sure that they can be competitive. You know, I, I think it's it, it's worrying. There's only one Irish province in the in the quarterfinals. You know, um. Um, that's we don't want to be. I I don't think we want to get to that stage where we Leinster are brilliant, and the rest are also runs, um, and it's only one year. But you know the the manner of which, well, fair enough, to Ulster they lost Leinster, but the manner of which Connacht blew out in in Benetton, and Munster went out um in in the Sharks would 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 wouldn't um fill you with confidence. Yeah, and like you said, there it's only one year, but. Fiona, like, for example, it's this year because of how last year ended. Like, if you look at how the the tail end of last season went, where they ended up falling down the seeds in the in the United Rugby Championship, that's how you end up playing Toulouse in the pool stages of the Champions Cup this year. And that's those games against Toulouse are why Munster ended up being sixth in their pool rather than third and having a, a home quarter final. And if you look at how the... URC is going this season unless they pick up a win or two in the last couple of games they well first of all they mightn't even be in the Champions Cup next season they have to secure that first of all but even if they do secure it again they could be down the seeds in the bottom two and potentially that would mean a trip to to La Rochelle or Toulouse or to Saracens next season again in the Champions Cup and that automatically gives their chances of getting through to a, a quarter final or a semi-final uh it knocks it down quite low. To be honest, I'd be concerned about the next two games over in South Africa. Um, you know, obviously they're home this week, kind of recuperating, but go back down there, play the Stormers and the Sharks and needing possibly two wins, depending on the other games go to even make Europe next year, it has to be first and foremost, because if they don't make Europe, the knock-on effects are just going to be huge in terms of money coming in, season ticket holders, recruitment then going forward. Like, I don't even know where they are at recruiting now. I know Bernard, you've been banging on for the last two years that they need a big front row player. And I don't know if they're any closer to that or even if it's in the pipeline because they signed another centre again. Um, you know, so I think their focus definitely has to be making Europe first and foremost uh, because at the moment it's on tender hooks whether they do. Yeah, and Birch, in terms of, as Fiona said, with the front row, it seems it's it's John Ryan coming back, but mm-hmm. the... Hooker is so, is a position that we've been talking about for a couple of years now, where they need a a real big body. It does it doesn't look like there's there's anything no. coming through there from from abroad or you know an NIQ an NIQ option. Yeah, at the moment, my understanding is there's nothing coming in for John Ryan, and he you know he will he will be a good addition to them, but you'd have to feel that's a shortish term, uh, you know you know option, and I don't think it's enough. I, I, when he was there before, it wasn't enough. Um, I, think I he, I'm I'm a big I'm a big fan of John Ryan, but John Ryan on the pitch last Saturday doesn't no doesn't change no, but, but I think you need John Ryan plus more, yeah. you know. Um, so I think it's great, uh, and it's obviously unfortunate that he that they weren't able to tie him down quick enough to, you know, uh, looking for him, it's a great opportunity to go play for the Chiefs. So I'm not sure what they could have done, but um, I, I think bringing him back is smart, but I, I think they need at least two more front rowers alongside him to be honest um and you've got young halfbacks you know uh, um you've got a decent back row you've got decent back rows coming through you've RG Snyman who you'd hope you know will will get back to his best and and, and there's no reason to doubt he will you'll have Ty Byrne you'll have John Klein you know you'll have Tom Ahern you'll have Witcherly etc so I don't think the back five 
is a is a weakness of the four pack. But uh, I think that 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 front row. Um, when you look at what where where the best are the La Rochelles, the Toulouse's, you know the Leinster's, they pretty much have two internationals in each position, um, either current or very recently passed, and um, that's that's the level, you know, uh, and it's very difficult for Roundtree or Kiriakou, you know, to make players who aren't international class, you know, in a in a position like that where you know a lot of it's around your size and your power. Um, you know, be able to compete with them. It's just you know, and the sharks, the sharks front row and front five at the weekend were laden with with quality internationals, and 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 that proved to be, you know, a big factor in 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 the performance as well. So I do feel for the coaches if they don't get the backing this time next year, we we'll be talking about recruitment. You know, and I understand that there's financial issues, but I I do believe this is the time to spend because players have never been as cheap. You know, and I, I think there is good youngsters in the Munster Academy who are going to be far better off coming into an environment where they have the tools to win rather than learning on a job like we see, you know, Greg McWilliams' team and, and, and lots of teams like that. And it's not the same extent, but, you know, you want to give them a, a fighting chance. Mm-hmm. And we'll be talking a little bit more about them over the, the coming weeks as well. We do need to move on, though. We've plenty more to, to get through and... Connacht forty one nineteen defeat against Benetton, but I mean, not a great week for defence coaches in in Ireland because we'll get to the the Irish women's team as well in a few minutes. But firstly, Fiona Connacht, is it? It's kind of hard to know what Connacht. Obviously, the they've got themselves in such a good position in the URC that obviously looks like being their their main goal at the moment. But it does feel like it's a it's a missed opportunity for them to to go on a decent run in a in a good competition. They're just so inconsistent, like. From one week to the next, you just don't know what you're going to get with them. And they started off the game well, you know, 12 nil up, and then the floodgates just opened and there was nothing they could do. And Benetton are good. You know, some of their attack was good. But again, defence, and a lot of time it wasn't system errors. It was missed tackles. It was just people not doing their job and um, really disappointing. And, you know, some of it comes down to them not having a, a home draw for this, playing Newcastle with a second string team, not going out with their strongest team. But more than that, players need to stand up and take responsibility as well. And um, yeah, it was hugely disappointing performance. But I would imagine for Connacht supporters how frustrating it is because sometimes they just go out and blow it out of the park. They're unbelievable, play great rugby. And then this, they're just porous. Their defence was just porous. And um, now, to be fair to them, they got themselves into a better position in the URC than we, they were sitting 13th or 14th at one stage to get back up there um, into that top six at the moment. is great for them, but I don't think they... I don't think they went out thinking, oh, we're going to focus on the URC. They played a strong team that just didn't perform. You know, um, Benetton married in their internationals, eight, eight of them back in, married their internationals in back better than Bundy and Mac. They were quiet enough throughout the game and probably didn't give Connacht what they would have hoped from them. Well, Bursh, the, the biggest question really for Connacht about it all is, did do you have confidence they'll be able to just park that by the time they get back into TURC for those final two games in whatever, 10 days' time? Yeah, I fancy them to beat Cardiff. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, then I saw Cardiff actually pulled a great performance out to, yeah. um, to beat Sale Sharks. Um, at the at the weekend, there was a lot of emotion that they lost their, their benefactor Peter Thomas, and and again, Cardiff aren't, you know, um, a team that you would you would say, oh, they have the consistency, you know, that Lens they kind of don't have, but they have. That's a must win game for them now. It's a it's a must win game. I think they win that. 
you know, they, it's going to, it puts the pressure on Munster and other teams there. Um, Glasgow away, you would think Glasgow put 70 on Dragons, obviously very impressive in Munster. Um, Glasgow, I would feel, it's attacking game will will score a lot of points against Connacht um, based on how they're defending. So it's going to be tight for them. Um, and it's just frustrating. I totally agree with Fiona. They, they messed up in Newcastle. You know, Newcastle had nothing to play for. Uh, they would have had a home, I think, run all the way to the final and, and obviously yeah. the final in Dublin. It could have been huge for them. And that 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 was always going to make it tough for them in this competition. Because I think the reality is um, it's quite easy to get to the knockout stages of a Challenge Cup. But when you get to the quarterfinal and semifinal, some of the bigger teams start to show real interest in it. And not being at home for Connacht was always going to be... Um, uh, a difficult so it's really important now you know finish property for Andy Friend there's some players leaving um, that they solidify that top eight and, and you know ideal scenario get that Champions Cup rugby that that they didn't have this year and you know with a new stadium in the planning I think that'd be massive for them um, and also in terms of a retention play as well you know the the, the new player the Bundyakis you know the, the Keen Prendergast etc they want to be playing Champions Cup rugby not Challenge Cup rugby yeah, and there's two games to make it happen. We'll find out what happens with them in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, we'll finish up, guys, on the, the women's Six Nations. Fiona, Ireland 53-3 defeat against uh, against France at, at Musgrave Park. Kind of strange where ultimately it's a 50-point defeat, but it was a better performance than it was uh, against Wales. This one was, was probably down to a lot of individual errors and kind of lapses in concentration rather than just being bullied in the opening 40 minutes. It's a bit patronising us to say that it's a good performance, but it was in terms of there was a bit more fight in the players. Um, It's hard to say how if their scrum improved, there was two scrums, eight on eight, and then France obviously got red carded, but in those first two scrums, they seem to have sorted. I don't know whether that's a selection thing, which I think they selected the more experienced props, which I think that was a good thing. Um, but when it comes down to it, Ireland had lots of ball. They looked to put together some good attacking phases, could never get over the try line, but 43 missed tackles. Like, that's just scandalous. And again, a lot of them were just individual errors. Um, and from a young enough team, like they are very young. You look at that back line, you have Dan O'Brien, who's 19, Eva Dalton, 19, 20, and young, but then with a, not a lot of senior experience either. You know, Dana got, had one game with Tullow seniors last year before she was thrust into the international stage. And she'll, she'll learn on the job. Like she had two kicks blocked down, one led to a try. She'll she'll learn from that, but it's the mo- most ruthless place to learn is at international level. And, you know, I was saying to some of the girls, I've been there before with some of these score lines and defeats, but it was never so public. And now you're in the public eye, you're on TV, you've got column inches and papers and it is very public. And that's that's going to hurt a lot more. Um, because everyone's talking about it now, but that's what they want as well. They want the exposure. They want to try and grow the game, but they have to start performing and they need to improve very, very quickly. Italy up in two weeks, they really need to improve their defence. And that's what I would focus on for the next two weeks is is their defence. Yeah, and, and Birch, that's the interesting thing is Fiona was saying that it's it's so public now, the, the defeats and the heavy defeats. And there's... I think it's pretty obvious like there's a lot of goodwill out there towards the towards the players and the team and a 5000 crowd in Musgrave Park was pretty decent at the weekend as well and you know they're they're quite a well followed team it's going to be interesting to see what happens if they are still going through this difficult period in 12 months time and and how that affects both the players and both affects the the mood around the squad as well where 
we see it in the tournament as a whole where England, like anywhere England are going now, they're drawing enormous crowds because of, of how well they're yeah. doing. But even for a tournament as a whole, if if you have England completely dominating or maybe just England and France dominating, it's it's quite exposed now that the Women's Six Nations is out in its own window. Yeah, and I think well, I think Wales have sold out Cardiff Arms for for the clash mm. against England, so that's that's really positive. I'm really interested to see if Wales actually are kind of have they closed the gap. I know they were very impressive against Ireland, but you know if Wales closed the gap, and I know it's a little bit different because their players can play in the in the in the English competition, um, but I think that would give hope to Ireland, Scotland, Italy, um, because Wales were. Two years ago, in a in a horrendous place, we beat them. Was it forty eight nil or something? Fiona, or, yeah. So, like, that was only two. That was only two years ago. Yeah. So like, that would be that, that would give us hope, you know. Now, obviously, they've got a different competition structure on their doorstep, um, and and I think that is important. Um, but yeah, I I just hope there is a lot of support for for this Irish uh, Irish team, and I suppose the challenge for them now, and and when you become professional, and when you have more training time and all that stuff is just to to show improvement you know weekly not look I think anyone who understands the challenge they have in terms of the youth uh, where they're coming from understands it's not going to be overnight um, but you just like them to you know to show that they're getting better each week and I think France to be fair was an improvement on Wales um, it needed to be um, but Italy now is a, is a, is a, is a is a key game for them, and it comes very quick. I know they have a week off this week, but it's hard to get significantly better in two weeks. Um, but unfortunately, that's the that's the nature of elite sport, and 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 that's 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 the competition they're in, and and, and um, yeah, I hope they can continue to stick together, not get paranoid or not get, I suppose, upset by the criticism, and just you know, just um show improvement on the pitch and and it'll turn then it'll turn quickly you know at the moment it's it's quite negative um i think there's a lot of people just um the sympathy i think actually you know I, I you know i think the majority of people just you know want want them to do better and and um don't maybe understand how hard it is to to, to put those performances in quickly is one of the one of the big issues or lessons from the opening couple of weeks fiona that the the game preparation they've had leading up to the tournament just needs to be better in terms of the the quality of games. These these players are playing week to week here at home. Obviously, you've the players who are over in the the Premier Fifteens in England, and they're getting a good level. But is it showing up really that the the All Ireland League and the Inter Provincial Championship isn't really up to scratch in preparing teams for the cut and thrust of a Six Nations Championship or Test Rugby? To be honest, I was a bit disappointed with our Premiership players that came back that didn't front up in that first game. Um, I would have expected more of them because they are at that higher level week in, week out. But yeah, look, the Interpros, from when I was playing, I didn't see its value. I didn't see its worth. They're coming together for three games. There's no succession planning year on year. There's no kind of pa- pathway of players. There's no one tracking those players. And the AIL then, well, sometimes it is a step up over Interpros, to be honest with you. Um, some of the games are of a higher quality. I thought the AIL final um, Blackrock Railway was better than some of the Interpro games. And then they went to the, that Celtic Cup challenge, which probably deluded Ireland where they were. They they won that. They beat Wales Development and the Scottish Thistles twice. But it probably deluded Ireland that they thought that they were better than they were when very few of the starting Welsh or Scottish players played consistently in that. So, yeah, there has to be a huge amount of work about what where the RFU are going next. Are they focusing on 
the AIL or the Interpros as that pathway of development. And, you know, look, in fairness to them, they've put money in there. They've put two um, strength conditioner and a skills coach in each of the provinces to ID these younger players and get them into a higher standard. But they need to be playing games and higher level games week in, week out uh, in order to improve them and, and that they're learning at a higher level quicker. Um, so it's going to be interesting the next year, kind of what path that takes. But, you know, to start this, I was saying, oh, we need to make top three to make the WXV. Now I'm like, we just have to avoid the wooden spoon. So we're not in tier three, that we at least get into tier two. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a, there is a lot of money going in and there's a lot of pathways being put in place, but it's going to take time to see kind of them come through. Um, it's, it could take three years, to be on three, four years, to be honest with you. And Fiona, that's the long term. In the short term, and I'm talking very, very, very short term, I'm talking next week. Uh, you say must win. It's must, 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 must win. Yeah, look, Italy, Italy have produced some good performances. You know, they were good against France. They got absolutely pummeled against England. They do have a lot more experience in their squad, and they did have a lot of players at that World Cup together for two months. Uh, but sometimes they're the master of their own downfall. They don't have an out and a kicker to get them out of trouble in their own 22 and they like to overplay it. Um, a, a quick start is really important for Ireland. But as I said, defence, like making those tackles, ensuring their systems are in place, making those tackles, I think that's going to be huge for them. Birch? Yeah, I, obviously Fiona knows more about me. I, I think it is really important that they... They're competitive. Um, I would have thought Scotland um, was the was the wood sp- wooden spoon decider. Um, but you know, if you can beat Italy before that, that'd be um, that'd be great. All right. Well, I've taken up enough of your time. Are you both at the Aviva Stadium on Friday evening? Yeah. Yeah. Look forward to it. It's gonna Friday. be try, try, or else I'm bringing a brolly. Yeah, I will. See, <laughs> I, I will see. Oh, you'll be pitch side then, will you? Well, I'm pitch side, but yeah, this. I know hair dryer, so I, I need to keep the keep the, uh, <laughs> yeah, the dry. I pity those poor souls who forked out their tickets in the, in the front <laughs> row and you're standing there with your umbrella. <laughs> but look, wow. that's a Friday night, eight o'clock kickoff on RT2 and RT Player and live commentary on the radio as well, RT Radio 1. But for now, Bernard and Fiona, thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Thanks.